Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Be Your Own Boss podcast. And today I am delighted to be joined by somebody who actually sits on my Kindle. He's written six best-selling books and it's not just best-selling insofar as Amazon best-selling, they are true international best-selling books. He's a keynote speaker who's spoken to half a million people around the world. He's coached top business leaders, TV personalities, and he had a goal to impact a million lives. I think he's achieved that well over and above that. So Michael, it's a pleasure to meet you. Michael, please do introduce yourself. Well, thanks very much for having me on the podcast, first of all. I am really, really honoured, and I can't wait for the conversation. Um, when people say introduce yourself, it's always one of those weird things, isn't it? Do you do, do, you do your elevator pitch? You know, the, the elevator pitch where people yes, say, you've, yeah. got have, you've got to have a 30-second elevator pitch. And I always worry about that, but I, I developed mine, and it was when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a gap filler. I find out where people are now, where they want to get to, and I will help them to fill the gap. And we'll do that as quickly as possible, as economically as possible, and make it as much fun as possible. So that's kind of the, the day job. As you very kindly mentioned, uh, I write and I speak and I coach. They're the sort of the three other things that I do. But my real passion is um, I work with my wife. I work with my wife, live with my wife. We spend all of our time together. This is one of the rare times when we're not working together when I do one of these. And, um, and that's really exciting for me because it's something I'd always wanted to do always had this goal that we could work together travel together do all the great stuff together and we do and it's it's brilliant and we live in northumberland yeah in northumberland in the in the glorious they call it the grim north come and have (laughs) you know i wouldn't wouldn't say that but being a southerner anywhere above you know people say watford gap above the watford gap services is north but to me above watford is north (laughs) (laughs) that's very north it's a bit cold i need my big coat as soon as i go up there so michael you've um you've written many books and i think the first one that i had on my kindle was how to be brilliant um but in particular on this episode and whilst it would be great to talk about how we can be brilliant i would really like to cover off um the subject of one of your later books which is five star service yeah so if i can begin what motivated you to write this book well, I've always been passionate about great service, and it, when my publisher said, oh, we'd like another book from you, um, I said, oh, I wanna, I'd love to write a book about brilliant service. I've got, the, I've got the title, I want to call it Five Star Service, One Star Budget, because in my mind, the best customer service costs very little. It's always about what people do, it's the, it's the human interaction, it's people who really care, who want to make a difference. I said, I want to capture that. And they were like, yeah, we love it. We love it. I said, in order to do it, I would like to go and visit the best customer service organizations around the world, interview the top people there, meet them, experience it. Would you be happy for me to do that? And they were like, yeah, but you have to pay for it. There's no advance. (laughs) So I was like, okay, fine. And so that was the wonderful thing about working with, with Christine is that we decided, yeah, we'd do it. So we did. We went off and we met with absolutely extraordinary people we visited the ritz cartons of the world we met people from disney we met you know Stu leonard stores and all these great customer service organizations that you hear about mm. and the interesting thing was they were all doing the same thing 
And that was okay. the real beauty. So it wasn't the fact that one was a hotel and one was a supermarket or you know whatever. They were doing the same thing. They had the same beliefs, the same core beliefs. And if we could tap into that and turn it into a how-to book, then we thought it would it would do quite well. And it has. It's the it's the best-selling book on customer service by a UK author um, in, in Britain at the moment, and has been for the last four or five years, which is which is crazy. But it's it's wonderful. And, and, you know, it's a book that's very much needed. I mean, we, I'm, I'm sure that I speak for all of the listeners that as we go about our day-to-day life, we just get frustrated by the poor service that's out there. And ironically, it seems to be the smaller businesses that have an inherent advantage in that the owner or the proprietor of a business is actively involved, but seem to suffer the most. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I mean... Where we live, we live just outside of a, a town called Hexham in Northumberland, and we got a Tesco Extra Superstore arrived a few years ago. And in our um, little town, there's two fishmongers. One of them, you could just see that the white flags came out. Every time somebody went in, he was bitching and moaning about Tesco and how you meant to compete and how you meant to do that, blah, blah, blah. The other one absolutely ramped up their service levels. If you bought, if you spent over a tenner, they would just chuck in a lemon. Dead easy thing mm. to do. Here's, here's mm. a lemon, that'll, that'll go nice with that. Here's, here's where this fish was sourced from. Here's some recipe ideas. Asking you little questions, kind of making a bit of a buzz, especially on a Saturday morning, you know, when people were going into the market and they would get people there. What happened within three months, the guy who was complaining and moaning had closed down. Big sign in his window thanking Tesco's for closing him down. The other one picked up their business. So they were already doing well, and they did really well because they picked up the business from the other fishmonger. And, you know, I, I think that you know, so there's a number of stories there that we, we can take from that. You know, um, for, first of all, the way we deal with problems and, and the way we approach them. But also, I think there's a, a wider thing that demonstrates the need for increased customer service with the changes, particularly in the retail sector, but actually, across the board, um, you know, c- certainly in retail, we're seeing it with um, online sales. But across the board, we're seeing automation um, really come in. And businesses need to understand how they can be different from a computer. Yeah, totally. But the, yeah. the, here's, here's the key. Often people say, oh, we need big data to do insight. Actually, you need three conversations to do insight to really listen to your customers, to talk to people, to do a secret shop on yourself and see how the experience goes. And and it's it's one of those things, it actually, people say, oh, it's not rocket science, but it must be some kind of a science because not everybody's doing it. Why aren't people doing it? And I think the reason why people don't do it is actually it takes a bit of effort. It takes mm. a little bit of graft, Carl, and, and to actually sit down and do those calls and listen to conversations and to call out to people and ask them and get feedback. You know, I, this morning, uh, before we, we did this podcast, I've sat and I've written six, seven, seven handwritten notes to thank people who I've worked with last week. So the guy who supplied the PA system for us at two of the venues where we were working at last week, um, the two two people, one person who's the owner of the business, but the person who organized the event, who took all the crap, who did all that type of stuff. Um, you know, I'm writing to these people, and I always write handwritten notes. And I tell you what, sometimes by the time I've written seven handwritten notes that aren't just thank you, I always wanted to say something about the event and about what I liked about them and what I liked about their company and the organization. My hand's tired. Yeah. And then I've, got to, then I've got to put their addresses on the front and then I've got to stick a live stamp on. And I'm not going to get my PA to do that because they'll recognize the handwriting's different on the front than it is on the inside. Sure. But 
the number of times when people say to us, I can't believe I got a handwritten note. How that was so lovely. How kind, how thoughtful. Well, sending cards is an easy thing to do, but it takes some effort. But get this. Did you know that the average number of birthday cards that somebody in the UK receives is three birthday cards? That's the average. So if you have a client and you know when their birthday is and you send them a nice birthday card, already you are 25% in their mind on that particular day. Wow. Simple, simple thing to do. And yet, oh, do we do it? No. No. It's for stuff that logically we know that we should do. Um, emotionally, we probably want to do. But let, let's be honest, Michael, most of us can't be bothered to do. Yeah, of course. And it's the same people who can't be bothered are the same ones who are complaining. Yeah. And they'll blame, blame everything else why things aren't going particularly well and why the, and it's all about price it's just about price nobody's interested in anything other than price and i'm thinking add value add value add value absolutely so michael what i would like to do is to really dive into some of the pre-work that you did before this book if that's okay what, what sure. was the best example of customer service that you came across in your travels well uh, we tell a story in there about uh, checking in at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Singapore. And I'll tell you the, the, the very brief version of it because I know this needs to be a snappy podcast. But I was traveling a huge amount many years ago, a lot, a lot of travel. And I remember arriving at a particular hotel in Glasgow. Now, I won't name the brand because it's not really fair other than, than to say it sounds a little bit like Stilton. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so I, go, I go to check into the Stilton Hotel I queue for nearly 40 minutes. When I get to the front of the queue, there's one person behind the desk. So I've got a big smile. I want to be nice to her because I appreciate she's having a tough time. Sure. And this is, this is the greeting I get. One minute, I'll be with you in one minute. Didn't even look up. Then she looked up eventually, looked at my bags and went, checking in. So I said, no, I'm here for a colonic, which I thought was dead funny. <laughs> but don't try, that in, don't try that in Glasgow. And then um, I was like, yes, yes, yes. What's your name? I should even say what's your name she just said name and I've got one of those names that you have to say it and spell it it's Heppel H-E-P-P-E-L-L and I get called Mr. Apple and all sorts sure. of things so sure. I always say it and spell it she tapped something into her keyboard I don't think it was Heppel in fact it couldn't have been Heppel because with great pride she looked up with a look in her eyes as if to say and that's what we do every single day we can't find your name we you know it's just kind of this this whole confusion i was like are you okay and she was like you're not on the system and i was like oh right well i should be because i have a reference to say i'm on the system well give me the reference and the reference is like 14 letters and digits long i read the whole thing out and then she looked at me again as if to say you idiot it's heppel I was like, wow. okay. Um, anyway, so that, that was the check-in process of an organization who would describe themselves as one of the favorite hotels in the world and, you know, all that type of stuff. Bit of a, anyway, I'm never going back. And I've told people loads of times, and the whole story went on, as you would imagine, for the next 24 hours, mm. bad breakfast, dodgy things, all that sort of stuff. Seven years between two visits at the Ritz-Carlton in Singapore. The first time I was speaking at the World Thinking Conference in Singapore, which was a, 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 a story for another day, Carl, sure. how I ended up at the World Thinking Conference. <laughs> Seven years later, I was going back, this time with my wife and my daughter. It's just before the um, Easter holidays. We're going to have five days in Singapore, and we were going to have um, a further eight days working in Australia. And 
arriving into the airport, if you arrive into Changi Airport in um, Singapore, it's a beautiful experience. The whole thing is great. Then we got into a nice car and we're driving to the hotel. And Christine said, so this hotel, the Ritz-Carlton, it's really good. I was like, it's brilliant. Oh, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And she goes, well, look at these hotels we're driving past. And you go past some amazing properties on the way into town. I hope it's going to be as good as these. And you know when you get the wedge of doubt? Sure. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, shoot. I haven't even checked. I've no idea if it's any good. It was seven years ago. I needn't have worried because I pulled up outside of the hotel. The door opened of the car and the concierge guy said, Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Ritz-Carlton, Mr. Heppel. Fantastic. And it is such a simple touch. Um, achievable through CRM. Um, yeah, it's something that actually is far easier for smaller businesses to do than the Ritz. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the wonderful thing was, I mean, their system is that they actually get the local drivers. They invite them all to go to the hotel once a year with their families and once a year just them. They entertain them. They look after them. They give them a great time. And all they ask in return is that they call ahead to say who's in the car. Sure. <laughs> no, it doesn't even just say on it. Doesn't even a computer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm driving. Mr. and Mrs. Heppel. They look down the list. Mr. Heppel's a return visitor. Mrs. Heppel and Sarah, first-time visitors. They say to Christine, Mrs. Heppel, welcome to the Ritz Carlton. This is your first visit. If there's anything you need, please ask. We get to reception. Everything's pre-filled in. The girl behind the desk, she said, Mr. and Mrs. Heppel, you're going to be staying with us for the next five nights. During that time, you may be interested in using room service, having a drink from the bar, eating in one of our fine dining restaurants, or browsing the boutiques. Perhaps the most convenient thing you could do would be to allow me to take a swipe of a credit card. Now, that's a script. Yes. But it is so beautifully delivered and delivered from the heart that I was like, thank you. I wanted to, to keep the card and get herself something nice. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. And so when people say, oh, scripts, you shouldn't use scripts. Yes, you should use scripts. You use the right scripts. Bad scripts are, you know, the classic, um, hello, um, have you claimed your PPI? Or have you been involved in an accident? Or all that rubbish. That's bad scripts, great scripts. We go to watch something at the theatre. They're using a script, but they make it come alive and you feel part of it. Mm. And, well, and that's is, a script. This is, the other, this is the other part of scripting is that it's not just the words that are used. Um, so your um, description of what they did actually reminded me of when I stayed at the Shard. I don't know, Michael, if you've ever stayed at the Shard before. Uh, well, the Shard use um, use our five star service book. It's ah, part of their training. Well, there we every, go. There every, we go. Every member of staff gets a copy of five star service. Fantastic. Um, yeah, they take you to the room. Um, they they actually process the transaction. The whole check in in process is done in the room rather than at reception. Um, what does yeah. that do? It removes all of the cues. It makes it absolutely painless. Apart from the fact they charged my card twice, and um, the shard is expensive as it is, let alone when they charge twice. Um, yeah, that's but, not in the book. <laughs> but that, that's not in the book. But you know, the um, but the activity it it was almost um, it was almost acceptable for them to do that because because actually I could see that it was a genuine error despite their best efforts. Now, if we were to take this down to smaller businesses. Um, I would like to first of all talk about experiences that you've received, Michael, being a connoisseur of great service, experiences that you've received that have wowed you from small businesses. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's this, this, oh, gosh, so many, so many. Um, where do I start? The, one of the lovely, lovely things is when somebody picks up the phone and has a chat with you about, about your needs. Mm. So recently we had um, a... Uh, a, a, a colleague of ours, a guy who I've been doing some coaching with, he wrote 
part of what he wanted to do was to write a book. So I helped him to write the book, and um, we wanted to say you know a thank you to him for you know the great coaching that client that he was, but also we want to do something a little bit special. So I arranged for his book to be leather bound, um, and have a one-off leather bound copy of the book. I rang probably about four or five binding companies. Two of them I couldn't even talk to anybody. Um, another two um, gave me a quote like this. Yeah, it's two thousand nine hundred. I was like, two thousand nine hundred pounds to bind a book. Yeah, I said, just want one. Well, one or fifty, it makes no difference. I was like, all right, okay, he doesn't want the work. Another one said it was four hundred and fifty pounds for one, and that was what they did. And I was like, all right, okay, so it's suddenly becoming not much fun. And then the the last one. I rang and it was a, a answer machine so I just left a message on the answer machine the most delightful lady rang back it's a company called Bristol Bound okay. and you know they're tiny and when you have a look at their website their website was created in 1932 I mean it's one of those types <laughs> of places And you, but she was adorable and every single stage of the way she just communicated perfectly now it wasn't, it wasn't a big f- flashy thing but I don't want a bookbinder to be flashy. I want a bookbinder to bind my book and for me to trust them that they'll get it to me on time so I can give this copy of this book to a person for his birthday. That's what I wanted to do. Yes. So it, it was that was the date it had to be done by. And she was like, I, and these were her words, she goes, I guarantee you, you will have that book five days before his birthday so you have good time to be able to wrap it and hand it over. I was like, perfect. That's a, a really, really simple thing. Mm. Sometimes people think that you have to wow your customers. Oh, we got to wow them. we got to wow, wow, wow. No, we don't. We wow. It's the son of wow. That's the important thing. The small things that we do that put deposits in the emotional bank account. Calling somebody back when you say you're going to. Remembering to say please and thank you. Using a person's name. Really genuinely listening when they tell you what their requirements are being fair and transparent with the price. All of those things put deposits in the emotional bank account so when you have to take some money from their real bank account, they feel much better about it. Absolutely. And you know what? There was something I picked up there as well, Michael, was that she didn't just understand the task. She understood the context of a task as well. Um, she understood Absolutely. that it was for a birthday. Um, she understood that you would need time to wrap it, whereas most businesses... They'd be given a deadline date. They would work to that deadline date rather than understand the whole situation around it. That's a, that's a cracking example. Lovely, yeah. Such a nice person. Yes. Yeah, so um, in terms of businesses, I mean, they can take inspiration from other businesses that give great services. What would be your biggest tips to a business that's already identified the need that they need to increase their customer service? I think number one, really, really simple, is start with intent. You have to genuinely have uh, an intent that you want to provide brilliant service. Not just say it, but true intent. Then you can actually get it wrong, Carl. You can you can drop the ball, you can get something wrong, but if your intent is right, then that shines through. Secondly, start with the most important person in the world, which is yourself. So you have to develop yourself. You have to be ready for it. You've got to understand the graft and the energy and you know be emotionally robust and all those things that you've got to do that's very very important then start with the second most important person which is your staff and the team that you have around you and if you want them to deliver brilliant service then you have to deliver brilliant service to them you've got to be able to show them that you care about them that you admire the fact that they're on the team they have to have you know the the belief that is carried through from you that they're going to do the right thing for the customer and then number three is the customer 
So often people say, oh, we want to do great customer service. We've got to be better for our customer without doing the first two. They're not better for themselves. They're not better for their team. And they wonder why their customer service isn't working. Fantastic. Now, I'm sure we're going to loop this back later on in the podcast to where people can find out um, more about you and uh, where they can find your books and hear you speak. And I'm sure that you've you've teased enough of them um, to want to know more. Now, I, I just wanted to move the conversation on just a tad to something that we actually spoke about on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, which is the rise of a contrepreneur. Um, probably, oh, yes. uh, probably the arch enemy of customer service, I would say. Um, tell me, what inspired that post? Well, I, I'm just, I think probably like you and like a lot of people, I've noticed that LinkedIn has changed. Mm. It's changed a lot over the, the last two years. I remember when it used to be a place you would go to get linked in with somebody. Now it is, it's it's broadcast, massive, massive amount of broadcast, which is fine, other than it, most of it's pretty dull. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the video, I created a video last year, um, which was called about having no content. And I just did a video for three minutes about no content and just talked about, here's a video with no content. I'm just walking down the street because that's what people do on LinkedIn videos. <laughs> I'm just walking down the street with no content whatsoever, just thinking about how no content videos are watched all the time. And people will probably still watch this. Anyway, 60,000 views or something now. It's crazy. Wow. I'll put out a video that, put out a video that I think is full of content that gets about 1,000 views. <laughs> it's crazy. That's the beauty of the LinkedIn anyway. algorithm. <laughs> I know. So anyway, so I'm 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 looking at LinkedIn. I'm seeing these people do these things, and I'm and I'm kind of thinking, if all of these people are as good as they say they are, then why aren't they doing their core business instead of wanting to sell their wares of how they do it to other people who mm. can't do it either? Mm. So, for example. Um, there's a guy who he runs a, a, a speaking workshop. And he does the speaking workshop, and I've seen him on advertising it all the time. And he's terrible. He's terrible. But what he's not doing is he isn't saying to people, here's how to become a great speaker. It's here's how to make money as a speaker. Mm. Now, fair enough, hey, I'm I'm well up for competition. You know, I, I want more people to be speakers. I want more people to be great speakers. I want to be able to recommend people to be great as great speakers. That's what I want. That's my big goal. But somebody who you can see, you know, will never actually do it. They are not geared up to be a great speaker. And what they're standing there doing their testimonial saying, I can't wait to get started because I I can see how in the future, this is going to be huge for me with my business as a paid speaker. And um, I've already got um, so many ideas and plans, and it's huge. And I'm thinking, you can't string two words together. <laughs> Never mind go out there and make a million quid as a speaker. Yeah. And unfortunate, unfortunately, this thing, um, the selling the dream seems to be happening um, you've, you've rightly mentioned the speaking world, you've got the property world, you've got the business world. Um, and it seems to be, um, to me, as far as I can see it, an extension of what was going on in the early 2000s. I, I don't know if yeah. you remember the old internet marketing days. Of, I do, absolutely. Jay know, Abraham and J people like that. This was it, Jay Abraham. And um, I don't want to mention names because I didn't test them myself. So I, it's difficult for well, me I, to I did. I, I got... I got the Jay Abraham stuff. So okay. a friend of mine, we we bought we bought his four thousand dollar package. Wow. Okay. Right. Four thousand dollars. I've got to tell you, there was some great stuff in there. Mm. But I was buying the sizzle 
more than the stake. Yes. And once I, it was interesting because I realized once I'd invested that amount, I was going to find good stuff no matter what. Mm. Because I didn't want to turn around and go, oh, I invested, you know, it was £2,000 each, me and my mate, £2,000 to not get something out of this. Yes. So I was determined. And I think that's what happens when people sign up to these things. Once they've signed up, they're in. It's very difficult to turn around and go, actually, it, it wasn't all that. It wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll name some names with, with people because sure. some of it, some of it's brilliant. So I did the whole Tony Robbins thing. Yes. So I, you know, I went, I went there to um, unleash the power within, and I did firewalks, all that type of stuff. And I went three times, and the third time that I went, I signed up for his whole package, that whole global thing where you go everywhere. I wish I'd only signed up for Date with Destiny. Okay. Because that is that is brilliant. That is a for me was a true life-changing personal development event. People said to me afterwards, Michael, you're different. You're a better person. It was that good. It was superb. But packed around that was a load of other stuff where you don't get Tony, obviously. Sure. You get an investment seminar, which is one of the most confusing things ever. I don't have yet to meet anybody who's learned stuff from the investment stuff. I've seen a lot of people who've gone away and then taught his method of investing. Yes. But, but actually don't invest themselves. The, um, the 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 whole life one was great, but I was you watch videos of Tony presenting, and he tells fibs on the video. I'm like, stop oh. telling fibs, Tony, because I can see through it. Here I am in Fiji, blah blah blah, and it's green screen, mm. and you know it's green screen because then later on he makes a mistake and he says I was in a car accident just up the road from here, and I thought I know when you were in your accident you were in California. So suddenly that. You know, it becomes like a, a little wedge of doubt. And it, under, along. it undermines the whole message. And, yeah, something yeah. like Tony's an inspirational character. He doesn't need to do that. No, he doesn't need to. And that's the... You, thank you, Carl. You have hit the nail on that. He doesn't need to do it. Why Why does he do it? And I think he would probably admit himself it's because ego takes over. Mm. That It all becomes about the ego. Now, again, Tony Robbins, brilliant. Um... You know, my kids used to kid me on and say, is he your man crush, Dad? Is Tony <laughs> Robbins your man crush? And I'd be like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But here's, here's, where, here's where it gets dangerous. When you get those events that are organized by, um, I won't mention their name, but they're obviously internationally successful. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I will mention uh, their yeah, name. Um, success resources. <laughs> We've, um, yes. I would be happy to steer. I mean, I've, I've unfortunately paid for one of their events in the past. Thankfully, it was only a gold ticket, not a um, VIP, or, or it might have been VIP, yeah. not diamond, or whatever a way they dress it up. Um, but you sit there and be sold to. And that's all it is. Absolutely. And I, and I kind of, I saw that one that Gary Vaynerchuk, um, Vaynerchuk, sorry, did the, the other day, um, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like a bit disappointed because I was thinking, oh man, Gary, don't don't get involved with that. Yeah, you know, you do so many other great things, just just don't do it. And then I see other things that they do, and they obviously they've got all these people who who've been involved, which creates the credibility. But you don't get to see them. You're not going to get to see those people. You're going to sit for two days where somebody who you've barely heard of is going to tell you how to transform your business when they probably haven't done it themselves. And this is where I started to get really. Sorry, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get angry. This is where I could be happier <laughs> with certain things. Is every single person who stands on that stage, they are a international best-selling author. Have you seen mm. that? 
Uh, yeah, they're I, all I have, num- I have. number one best-selling author. How can they all be? How can all these people be best-selling authors? Hey, oh, I know really, how they did it. It's really simple. Were, Amazon. Wrong cate- Amazon. Wrong category. Exactly. Get it, get it to a specific category on Amazon. I mean, there was a guy. Have you seen the thing? He did a, um, a, a book about a picture of his foot. I have. I have. And he got it a number one on Amazon. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. Just get your mates all to buy, and then suddenly you are a number one best-selling author. Mm. Let me tell you what it takes to be a number one best-selling author. To genuinely be number one on the Sunday Times bestseller list, and that's the only one that really counts in, in my view, it takes huge effort in the first place, huge effort, and an enormous amount of luck. Yes. That somebody's going to find your book and get behind it and promote it in such a way that you will get to number one. And I did that with one of my books. It was a book called Flip It. And the main reason, it was it's a great book. Everybody loves the book. But the main reason was Chris Evans on Radio 2 said, this is the best personal development book I have ever read. And I've read them all. Everybody should go out and buy 10 copies. And that was it. Fantastic. And when Chris Evans says that, then you kind of, you, you do well. Yes, I mean, but, but this if, is the reality of um, business books nowadays, and we, I, I, I fear we might be going off into another, um, <laughs> another rant altogether. Um, but yeah, I've, I've written a couple of books, been traditionally published, and I know my book sales figures, and they're, yeah, they're not great. I'll, I will openly admit that to anyone, they're not great. Um, but nowadays, anybody can, can write a book, can self-publish it themselves, um, yeah. It used to be that you'd have to go through a publisher to self-publish. You can now do it print on demand with a few clicks. And you can build yeah. that layer of credibility that then allows you, if you wanted to, to sell snake oil. Yeah, and that's and that's the chat. And, and, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with self-publishing your book. Mm. If you want to do that, if you want to go on that route, great. That's fantastic. Good for you for actually writing it and getting out there and doing it. It's, it's, you'll know, Carl, it's very tough to sit down and write a book. Yes. You know, to write a good one. Mm. Um, but it's what so you great do enough. afterwards. It's what you do afterwards. And whether you use that as a platform for good mm. or a platform yeah. to make a few quid. I know. And it's, and it's the challenge. But, hey, you know what? We're all different. Yes. And, and I, I sleep very, very soundly knowing that I'm not doing the, the entrepreneur stuff. I, I nearly did once. I'll, I'll do a confession here. We once um, organized an event and we did the classic thing. We had a cheap ticket event and then I was going to stand on stage and at the end sell this package, which was a £1,000, a £5,000 and a £10,000 version. Sure. I got right at the end of the day. We've got 700 people there who'd all paid 50 quid to be there. We had bundles and all sorts of stuff. We had all the tables set up around the room, all the volunteers, right? It'd go out there with the, the clipboards. And the clip and machines, yeah. Yeah. I just bottled it. I got to the end and I went, you know what? I hope you've had a great day. We've got some other stuff. See the people around the room, have a chat with them. If there's anything that you want, you know, we can do some other things. And there was two people bought the £10,000 package yeah. and I gave about £100,000 worth of value to them because I thought that's such Brilliant. a big investment. And the, mo- um, and the most important thing, Michael, you can look at yourself in the mirror, you can sleep at night, yeah, you haven't gone absolutely. down that path. Fantastic. And I just got to see, yeah, that, it's the hype, 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 hype. Yeah. Getting that and using embedded commands and using sense of loss and all that type of stuff and then doing the snake oil bit. Let's oh, leave that one for now, Carl. We will do. So if any of the <laughs> listeners want to um, find out more about this, I'd strongly recommend also listening to episode four, which was my interview with Mike Winnett. Um, so, Michael, you, you know of Mike. I'm pr- pretty sure everyone... He's amazing. 
Everyone on LinkedIn knows of um, Mike. Well, he actually started his journey after um, attending a Success Resources event and realising um, the issues that were there. So if you, if you want to hear half an hour of this, listen to that episode. Michael, what I'd like to do now is to run through some rapid-fire questions. So okay. the purpose of these is to allow the audience to get to know you better. Um, the first one is if you were to set up your own mastermind group with three people, dead or alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would they be? Uh, Napoleon Hill. Yep. Um, he, for those of you who don't know, wrote the book Think and Grow Rich, first personal development book I ever read. Um, it's where most of the people who do personal development get their original material from. It's extraordinary. Um, so definitely Napoleon Hill. I would have, oh, this is really, really good. I'll have to have Mastermind Group. Oh, how many people can come up with three straight away? <laughs> their minds always just melt a little bit, Carl, when they say that. Um, okay, I would have to have, a, have my wife, Christine. Yeah, because she's my mastermind group now anyway. So I, you know, chat with her um, all the time about stuff. And then the final one would be, um, yeah, they can be a dead person. So my uncle Donald, who unfortunately died when he was quite young, but was my real inspiration as a kid. And I often think, I wonder what he would say to me now. If he could see what I do now, he would be the one who would probably have some extraordinary advice. So yeah, Uncle Donald, my wife, Christine and Napoleon Hill. Fantastic. Um, second one, what is the best purchase that you've made recently, up to about £50, that's had the biggest impact on your life? Oh, that's nice. Um, best purchase... A, a, oh, <laughs> can it be a gift from somebody else? Do you know what? It can be anything. Um, the, whole, the whole purpose of this question is to give the listeners some inspiration of, do you know what I could do with that in my life? A drone. I got a drone. Okay. Off, off, <laughs> off a friend of a friend for Christmas. They gave me a drone, and um, we've since bought the same drone for three other people because it's brilliant. And it's, I mean, you think about the technology. It's got a camera in it. Yeah. You can. Um, it, it's really good to fly. Um, everything about it, it's really, really great fun. We live in an old farmhouse. I've been doing those shots where you kind of fly over the top of your house and look in through the um, the windows and all that type of stuff. Oh, a drone. Get a drone. Excellent. Get a drone. Don't go, but don't go, don't go near an airport. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we live in the careful, countryside. Be, be careful over next door's garden. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, so um, next question. Apart from your own, and I suspect I might know the answer to this one. Apart from your own, which book is the book that you've recommended to the most people? Oh, it's definitely Think and Grow Rich. I, th- I thought by it Napoleon would be. Hill. Yeah, it's. It's you know what the thing is with that book is I've probably read it forty times, you know, fifteen times reading it, twenty five times on audio, maybe even more times on audio, and every time you get something, every time you get something else, and it's like that wow, brilliant, real, real wow, wow moment. So it's one that's come up a few times on on the episode, so we will put it in the show notes. But I, I'm sure the listeners would have seen it in the show notes from previous times. It, it is a cracking book. Um, ne- next question I would like to ask you, Michael. Um, what is one thing, one secret that nobody knows about you? <laughs> These are great questions. That's a way of putting you on the spot, isn't it? <laughs> one secret that no one knows about me. Um, oh, I mean, it wouldn't be a secret then if I immediately started to tell it. So that would be, I can't, I can't say that one <laughs> or that one. <laughs> 
Oh, then there's that one. I could probably tell you something that not many people know about me. Go on, then. Go on, then. All right. So, um, I um, when I left school, my English teacher wrote in my school report, Michael will never do anything with the English language. Really? Which is, yeah. And, and I went on to write six best-selling books. But here's the thing that not many people know is... I um, was asked to speak at my old school at prize giving and I took the report along and I took my books in 29 different languages and all that stuff and I I told her and this is this is the bit that not many people know I pretended that I didn't know the teacher was in the audience okay I see I actually knew and I just read out that old school report and I said but she's called Miss Lumsden I said Miss Lumsden obviously retired many many years ago and all the kids are shouting she's still here she's still here and I was going no no she was very old then and they're like no no she's here and they're all pointing at her and that's a bit naughty because I of course I knew she was there but you know it's sometimes those those um nuggets that don't feel like nuggets at the time but they actually inspire you um I, I have the same for my business studies teacher um telling me not to not to even bother going back to sixth form so um so <laughs> yeah we've um, we we all have these words that knock about in our minds and and, and drive us forwards okay so, so the final thing michael on this before we close up the podcast what would be the one bit of advice that you would give to your younger self you're better than you think fantastic and on that note um i've i think that's a that's a cracking way to to pull this to a close so michael where can the listeners find out more about you um, and where can they find your books well i i used to say that my books were available in all good bookstores but now we have to say they're available in all remaining bookstores (laughs) (laughs) and obviously amazon they're available on amazon if you want to find out more about what i do just put Michael Heppel, H-E-P-P-E-L-L, Michael Heppel, into Google, and we should come up as number one on the on the rankings. And the website's michaelheppel.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, all those things. Connect there. I love chatting with people on social. So, you know, if you want to do at Michael Heppel for Twitter or, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, always happy to have a chat there. Brilliant. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure to be with you, Carl. It was great. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.